Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I was thinking the other day, there's things that we don't do as much anymore. You know, one of them was going to concerts. When's the last time you went to a music concert? It's been a while. I remember when the concerts were packed and you didn't have a ticket, you would have to stand. That was called standing room only. With all due respect, spend the money on the ticket because <laughs> I think if you have to stand during a whole concert, it kind of gets old after a while. When they're standing room only, you look at the people sitting down in the seats and go, man, I could have had a V8. I could have had that seat if I would have planned ahead of time. That image of those who are seated and planned ahead of time is the same image of what happens to us believers during the church age, which is current what's going on. Those who get saved now, we sit with Christ. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about the great tribulation saints that come later, and they will be standing. And there's a little difference there. So don't miss the party. Don't miss the concert. Come early to the party. Trust Christ today, because that's how you get to sit with him at the big table in heaven. This is the last part of a series, hashtag not of the world. If you remember why I put the hashtag on there, because it's a symbol of the world, but we're not of the world. And part six today is seated with Christ. The theme verse for the series is John 17, 16. Read it with me. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Let's talk about that. I am not of the world because I am seated with Christ. I'm seated with Christ. I'm not having to miss out on the party and miss out on the concert. It's already happening. I'm already there. Last week, we talked about being sealed with the Spirit. And that's like a down payment, a guarantee of a future redemption of this body to go be with Christ. But we already have the Spirit. And the culmination comes when we are seated with Him in heaven physically, because we already are spiritually. It's a done deal. So how can I be seated with Christ while at the same time standing on the earth? And I hope that's what will make a little more sense today as we go through this passage. Now, last week, we talked about Ephesians chapter 1, so we're going to go to chapter 2. So in context, we've already heard and read of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have done to seal the deal. Read Ephesians chapter 1 so that you build up to hear Because Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. So the key word there is spiritual blessing. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So when we get to chapter 2, we're now continuing with what already happened spiritually. And Paul goes on, and in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So it's already happened. In fact, seated 
would be in the past tense. You were seated with Christ the same way you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a done deal. So we were sealed. We were seated. So the moment you trusted Christ, you got a new position, a seat at the big table. You got a new position in Christ, but it's still active currently, that position we have in Christ. And one day it will be culminated as we physically sit with Christ in heaven. Now, let me tell you something. To some people, this is like mythology. They're like, what is that guy talking about? (laughs) Is this true? Well, I'll tell you, if it's not true, then everything else in the Bible is not true because this is God's word. And there's millions and probably billions of people that came before us who have trusted Christ and are currently living out what they had faith to believe in beforehand. So this is not mythology. This is theology. It's the doctrine and the teaching of God. And I have to say that a lot of us don't get that. We think it's a story. Like, oh, the flood is a story, or Adam and Eve is a story, or mythology. It's not. It actually happened, and it's all setting up what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about sitting and standing. Now, who's the one seated on his throne? God. It's his throne. No one sits on God's throne. And then we know that who else is seated on the right hand of the Father? Jesus Christ, the Word, the Son of God. He's seated at the right hand of God, which is the highest level of being exalted. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 says that God exalted him above all else. So Jesus is sitting there. It's the highest position, highest regard. And then when you look at the Bible talking about heaven, who else is in heaven? Well, angels. Now, when you read about angels, especially in Revelation, when we look at what's happening in heaven with angels, they're always referred to as standing and serving. So here's what I want you to get as we go through this. Sitting is a position of high regard. It's a position of being exalted. And Jesus said, if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. So we in Christ have been exalted to a high position to sit. But when we talk about standing, I want you to picture that as a position of service, like you're standing ready to serve. Okay? So God sits. The angels stand. So what about us? What about we as believers? Do we stand or sit? Well, interestingly, it depends on which believers, especially in the book of Revelation, because Revelation talks a lot about heaven and gives us a picture of heaven. It depends on when you come to the party. If you've already accepted Christ during the church age, the age of grace, you're seated. You have that position of seat. But there will be people during the great tribulation period of seven years when God is judging an unbelieving world that the elect will come to Christ. And those mainly are the 144,000 Jews of every tribe because God's going to use those to be witnesses to other people. And then there will be other people who come to Christ during that time too. So turn in Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. So John the Apostle is having a revelation. God has given him a revelation, a vision. And in chapter 7, John writes, After this, 
I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or the sea. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels and says, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Okay, so that's important because in chapter six, it says that the wrath of the lamb has begun. But God needs to seal his elect during that time in the future that they would be protected. And remember, I talked about the difference between that seal or mark and the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is similarly on on the forehead or somewhere on the body, but it's an outward thing where we who are sealed currently by the Holy Spirit, are. it's an inward sealing. So there's a little difference. In verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. So there's been religions and movements, and particularly Jehovah Witness, who say that to get to heaven, you have to be one of the 144,000. Totally out of context. Makes no sense. Unless you're Jewish. And unless you're living through the Great Tribulation, which you don't want to be. You want to be sealed now and seated now so you can go there and have to deal with this. Because you think it's bad now? No. So he goes on, he lists all the tribes, the 12 tribes. So those are the 144,000 that are sealed. They're the elect during this time to be witnesses to an unbelieving world. But they have to live through hell on earth. As we can see in verse 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. Now they're standing before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches. So that's a symbol of victory. They made it through. And they say, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and the lamb. And all the angels were standing around. Again, angels standing. The throne were the elders and the living creatures. And they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to God forever and ever. Amen. If you wonder what's going on in heaven, that's what's going on. And then one of the elders answered saying, now that's interesting. Nobody really asked a question. This is what I love about having elders in the church that are mature. They kind of anticipate the question and they go, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? Where they come from? And John says to him, my Lord, I don't know. And the elder said to him, and this is key, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Now, back in Revelation 4 and 5, the people in heaven are the church, the ones that were saved during the church age, the ones that are raptured. But these specifically are the elect that come out of the great tribulation. And look, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no more, thirst no more. They will not basically experience hell on earth no more because that's what God was protecting them from. And then they go to heaven. For the lamb, who's the lamb? Jesus, in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them. John is getting a picture of what happens to believers during the great tribulation. 
You don't want to be there. You want to come early to the party. You want to get seated in the front row. You want to come early. You don't want to wait. A lot of people go, oh, I'll wait till it's, you know, down the road or something. You never know. You never know what down the road is. It could be today. Come to Christ today. That's the elect. And notice they're standing and serving like the angels. So when we think about the elders, the believers, Jesus and God, they're all sitting. And that's a physical posture of royalty and being exalted. How about Jesus? He's exalted, right? Was he ever not exalted? Well, in his humanity, he didn't give up his divinity, but he came as a man in a human body. And didn't he humble himself as a servant, the Bible says? In fact, John chapter 13, look at that, because that's an incredible thing that Jesus does where he washes the disciples' feet. Now remember, he's God, the Word, and became man. Not two people, one person, two natures in one body. Nobody's ever had that before except him. Chapter 13 of John, before the feast of the Passover, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart the world, because he's not of the world, to the Father, During supper, the devil had already tempted Judas and put in his heart to depart, fall away from Jesus. Jesus, this is important, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. So what did Jesus know? Who he was and where he's going. That's important because you can't serve people on this earth effectively, if you don't know who you are and where you're going. He got up from the supper and laid aside his garments. It's almost a picture like he set aside his divinity and he puts on a towel and he washes his disciples' feet and then jumped down to verse 12. After he washed their feet, he put his garments back on. And what did he do? He sat at the table. It's a picture of us. We have the garments. We have the robe of righteousness. We are seated in a position of being exalted, of high regard. We're seated at the big table. But at the same time, we wear a towel and we serve. Jesus himself said, do this. I gave you an example. Do it like me. Now, I'm like probably way down on the totem pole as far as being a handyman, you know? I can fix certain things. Like my wife always tells me, how'd you fix that? I go, I research it, and then I try to fix it. I won't do plumbing. That never works for me. But there are great handymen, you know, that wear the tool belt, and they look all serious, and they look like, you know, they know what they're doing, and they fix things. Well, guess what? That towel is kind of like a tool belt where God has given you gifts and talents and experiences, and he wants you to put that tool belt on, that towel, and help other people and serve other people. And the most effective way to do that is to know who you are and where you're going, because that gives you confidence. That gives you the faith that you need to have to serve effectively, because otherwise it becomes about you, or people let you down, and it becomes about you. But if you know who you are and where you're going, you're already seated. 
man, you could put that towel on, that tool belt, and serve like never before. So Jesus, for a time, see, he set aside some of his tools. He didn't like lose his tools. He still had divine tools. He had two toolboxes, basically, or two tool belts, where he could pull from his divinity or he could pull from his humanity. So when we read, for instance, that Jesus was tempted by the devil, but the Bible says God can't be tempted. So was Jesus being tempted in his divinity or humanity? In his humanity, where it says Jesus was hungry and Jesus felt pain and Jesus cried and Jesus laughed, did all these things that we do, where he was asleep. That's in his humanity. But he had his divinity. He said, don't you know I can call 10,000 angels right now and I can get out of here. I don't have to go to the cross. I'm doing it because I love you. And I'm the only one that can do this. But he still is an example of living a perfect, obedient human life with all the struggles that we had. So Jesus, even though he's seated at the right hand of God, he stood in service and washed his disciples' feet. And that's the image that I want you to get. What is your toolbox filled with? Whatever those gifts and talents and abilities and your heart and your passions and your calling, do those things. Don't wait for someone to ask you to do them. Just start doing them. That's how people get ministered to. That's how they get their feet washed. That's how they heal and experience God's grace. So who's Paul writing to? He's writing to a church in Ephesus. So we're the church, so we can read this as to us. He's writing it, like I said, during the church age, which is the age we live in. All lived in the same age. We live in the church age. There will come a time when that age will end, and there will be the age of judgment. And then Jesus will come back. So when Paul says that we are seated with Christ, it's now. We are already seated with him. That's our position. Our position changed from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God, to being under God's wrath, to being under his grace to being dead in a tomb, to being alive in Christ. See, that's what happened. I love Paul's passion. He wrote like he wanted the church to get it. He's like, don't you get it? That's why you can serve, and that's how you can walk in that way, because you have to get it first. You have to know who you are. And my passion is the same thing. I want people to get it, because it took a while for me to get it. Even as a Christian, I was saved, and I kind of got it. I felt like, wow, Jesus loves me? I thought he was mad at me. And then when I got that, it's like a whole weight was lifted on my shoulder. But then it started to become a burden because I was doing it for myself or I was doing it in my own strength until I finally got it. It's by grace. It's not by my strength. I'm not some great person. It's because God's a great person and he lives in me. And he loves me. And he seated me there already. And when you get that, man, your life, you're set free. Don't be living in the past. Live how you are now. See, those who are stuck, they're stuck because they don't believe. It's not that they don't know. Like if you're a Christian, you know, you should know. You should know what happened to you. And that's my passion is to know my whole purpose on this earth, to be honest with you, is to preach and teach 
God's word in order to prepare the church for Christ's return. And when we get it, we're closer to having Jesus come back because Jesus wants us to get it. And that's my passion. But those who are stuck in the past is because they don't believe it happened to you. Or that's great, it happened to somebody else. That's great for you, but not for me. I don't feel like it. Who cares what you feel like? Okay, God says it, believe it. That's basically what repentance is. You repent, you stop believing in what you think is true and start believing in what God says is true. And I told you, it's not a myth. This is theology. It's happened to us and it should change the way we live and think. Be careful because this shouldn't lead to self-righteousness like, oh, I'm better than that person. But, you know, it should lead to humility because you're like, why would God take the time to do that? Right? And notice everything that's happened to you is in Christ Jesus, not in yourself. That's important. And like I said, where the head goes, Jesus The body follows. So it makes total sense. We've risen with Christ. We're seated with Christ. He's there. We're there. That's important because I can't forget where I was before. Before I was seated with Christ, I was dead in my sin. That's what we have to know, too. We have to know that this wasn't always the way it was. You weren't born that way. At some point, you had to repent and say, I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, and now I believe in Jesus Christ. And that's when this happens. Because dead people, can they do anything? No. They lay there. They're dead. Jesus came for dead people to rise in faith in Christ because God made man in his image. And that image was distorted by sin. It didn't leave. God's image is always with us, but sin took over and it was distorted. Once we come to faith in Christ, God's image is restored because Jesus lives in us. That is what I would call being rehumanized because we were dehumanized. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in the tomb. And God came and rescued us through Jesus Christ and rehumanized us, and the image of God is restored. That's what happened to you. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So you were succumb to the devil and his work, and of the spirit of disobedience. You were like that. You were living in your flesh, you were dead in your mind. Nothing was alive. You're in the dark. Okay, you were a child of wrath. Just like the rest, it says. That's what's important to understand. I was dead in my sins, like Lazarus was in the tomb. I couldn't get out. I was wearing grave clothes, and Jesus came, called my name, and boom, I'm alive. That's what incredibly happened. What happened? But God made you alive in Christ. Look at verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, it's important, it's a contraction, but God, if it weren't for God, you'd be dead. Let's read verses four through nine. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even while we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not in ourselves; it's in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then very famous verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so no one can boast. There's no one boasting in heaven saying, look what I did. They're all like the elders and the angels and everybody else. They're worshiping Jesus and saying, look what he did. This whole series, and we're ending today, hashtag not of the world, I went through a series of things, and I want you to think about them. This is what happened to you when you came to faith in Christ. First, you were hashtag sanctified in truth. That was the first sermon because you know now the truth and you can live for the truth and in the truth. Then we had hashtag citizens of heaven. You became a citizen of heaven. You have a new home. And then the third sermon was hashtag children of God. You have now become a part of God's family and a new house in heaven. And then part five was hashtag sealed with his spirit. It's a done deal. And then today, hashtag seated with Christ. Your position has changed from sinner to saint, from servant to royalty, from dead to alive, but not forgetting that you're still here to wear a towel until you're taken to be there. How'd this happen? God's great. Did we deserve this? Are you that righteous in yourself? Like, wow, I'm so good. God couldn't help but save me. God couldn't help but give me a spirit. God couldn't help but take me out of the tomb. Are you kidding me? Who are you talking about? The Bible says no one's good except for God. So God's goodness that we sang about came through Christ and rescued you and gave you a part of himself. So you actually have a part of God's toolbox. Not like God, but you have him in your heart. And you're seated with him there already. It's a done deal. So I always end with this. I'm not of the world. I'm of the word. But you have to believe the word. It doesn't make any sense if we just talk about how God's word is a wonderful book. You know, or... Jesus is a great teacher. No, we have to talk like this is the reality that we live. Everything you see on this earth will pass away, even the hashtags, except for Jesus, for God and his kingdom, and in heaven, and in the new heaven and the new earth. So let me give you some wordy advice. Sit down and do your job. What do I mean by that? Well, Look at this verse, verse 10. Now remember, all this is building up to this, because if you don't know what happened to you, this doesn't make sense. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That is amazing. That's how we can sit down in our position in Christ, but stand up and do our job. Because God saved us not to just sit there, but to stand up and serve. 
That's why when I write that song, Lord, make me your voice. Use my hands, my feet. Make me your voice. That's just not words. That's how we should live. Because you know where you're going. You know who you are. That makes all the difference in the world. And you can put on that towel and you can use your tool belt. Everyone has one. There's no Christian without a tool belt. You have a tool belt. Everyone has a little different one. But you have tools and you have gifts. And then you serve others because you know that you are already seated in your position in heaven with the elders and with Christ and with all the other believers who are there. I want us to pray as we end this series. What is God saying to you? Is God maybe saying, wake up, quit living in the dark. You're not of the dark anymore. Or is he saying, you know, you've been wearing those grave clothes for way too long. I gave you new clothes. Wear those. Or is God saying, you know, that tool belt sitting in the garage. I want you to go take it out and put it on and help other people heal. What is God saying? Whatever that is, I want you to do it. I want you to take it to heart. Lord, thank you for your word that tells us who we are, that we know where we're going, just like Jesus because where the head goes, the body follows. That we are seated with you currently in a high position, but we're also standing here on this earth because we have a job to do that you have given us before we were even created. You gave us these good things to do, and all we have to do is do them in faith. Lord, it's an incredible thing to fathom. How does it work? It works because you're God and we're not. And we just want to trust you and stop believing what we think because we have a finite mind. But you're infinite and your ways are higher and we're not of the world. And this world we live in, Lord, is decaying more and more each day. But we can look forward to the new world that is to come in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com.